Quick warning, there is a small amount of violence in this week's chapter about 13 minutes in. If you're listening with kids, you might want to check that out in advance. And now, on with the show. You are listening to the Literary Comedy Podcast. Stories of comedy, tragedy, and time. Ing. Hello. Welcome to Chapter 14 of A Dragon for George, a friendly for nearly every member of most families novel about a 12-year-old boy and his pet dragon who may or may not be from another dimension. Last time, a reluctant George showed mercy to a reformed Johnny, only to lose Lorne and his own freedom due to Deidre the Damsel's betrayal. And now, Chapter 14 of A Dragon for George. The carriage had no windows near him, but George could hear cars honking and zooming past. You'll be home soon enough, Deidre said, smiling at George from her seat near the front. George felt the metal bars of his cage, which was barely taller or wider than he was. Large metal hooks secured it to the back of the carriage. George turned away from Deidre to look at Lorne, imprisoned in the cage beside him. She refused to look at him, but he knew she wasn't sleeping. Her burps sounded different when she was sleeping. They captured me too, George said. Can't you see that? I didn't know Deidre would betray us. I didn't betray anybody, said Deidre. She gestured to the lanky horseman who lay on a plush canopy sofa carved into the carriage. He's going to let you go free. To the lanky horseman, she said, aren't you? The suckling shall remaineth there only until we reach his home village, and, and then he shall be released, as I hath promised. The lanky horseman swallowed a grape. He winced, shouting to the front, Thou doth know I prefer these sands, Peel. I can't drive the horses and peel grapes at the same time, yelled the square-jawed horseman. Thou canst not expect me to peel mine own grapes, said the lanky horseman. He looked around for help, offering the grapes and a small knife to Deidre. That wasn't part of the deal, she said. The lanky horseman rolled his eyes toward George, sneering at him. Thou art not worthy of peeling my grapes, filthy child. George, ignoring the man, sat down in his cage, which rattled intensely, banging his tailbone. George yelped in pain. I have extra pillows under here, and thou shalt get none. Let this be a lesson to you, pathetic suckling, about speaking false to your betters, and taking that which is not yours. Just give him the pillow already, said Deirdre. I shalt do no such thing, the lanky horseman said sharply. He soon recovered himself and spoke more softly. Thou mayest if thou likest. Deirdre held the side of the carriage as she removed a large and thick pillow from under the lanky horseman's canopy. She attempted to stuff it through the bars, but it didn't fit. I don't want it, George said, his grimace betraying him as the carriage rattled his tailbone again. It hurt. Good. Don't be stupid, she said, forcing a corner of the pillow between the bars. George glared at her. Don't look at me like that, she said. I'm not even looking at you at all. George turned his head away from her. If you're not going to use the pillow, I am, she said, yanking the pillow back out and putting it under her. 
Beside George's cage, she sat down, making a big show of how comfortable she was. That really makes a difference. George folded his arms and harumphed. Okay, so I'm not a damsel from another realm, Deidre said. I gathered that, said George. You're a common thief. I'm not a common thief, she said. I am a very, very good thief. Do you know what makes me so good? No. Sure you do, said Deidre. I understand people on a psychological level, she pointed to her cranium. That's how I managed to rob Corwin. Corwin, George said. Corwin J. Willoughby? The man who owns the castle? That's him, said Deidre, pointing to the lanky horseman who had taken a lute from under his seat and begun to pluck away, slightly out of tune. The famous recluse. All the thieves I knew were sure his castle had the best security money could buy. But Corwin, like everyone, is fighting the battle between how the world actually is and how he thinks it ought to be. This makes him vulnerable. Whatever, George said pitifully, grimacing as the carriage rattled over a pothole. Not whatever, a very specific what. See, Corwin grew up with his super-wealthy parents granting him every wish they could, Every wish but one. Corwin wished to be a real knight, like in medieval times. His parents bought him fencing and archery lessons. They left him money that he used to build his castle. But no one can make it medieval times again. Medieval times is Corwin's oddity. George looked over to Corwin to see if the man had heard any of this. Corwin continued to strum loudly on his lute. Deidre continued her story. Hmm, I said to myself. In medieval times, they didn't have 21st century security systems. I knew Corwin thought his castle should be authentically medieval as possible. So after a little research, I found it very easy to thieve. Except for the dogs. You see, my own Adabi discounted such well-trained dogs. You don't sound like such a good thief, said George. If the dogs caught you even after my help... My getaway car malfunctioned, Deidre said. Even though I've just taken it for a tune-up. She shrugged. Sometimes life's just like that. I don't care, George said, unfolding his arms only so he could fold them again. Deidre leaned in close to the bars of his cage. Did you think you'd be able to keep a fire-breathing dragon? Everyone in the country would have been after you once people found out and people were finding out. At least this way she's safe and you haven't caused too much senseless destruction. George rested his head upon his knees, ignoring her. "'Look,' she said. "'The dragon was never yours. "'Corwin paid a ton of money for some scientist to genetically engineer it. "'Then I took the trouble to steal the egg. "'You just found it. "'Anyone could have found it.' "'George glared at her, wishing his eyes were weapons. "'I tried to arrange it so that both you and me could get out of this mess,' she continued. "'I, I even led you to Johnny. "'You completed your quest like you wanted.' Everything worked out. Indeed it hath, Corwin said, striking an especially toneless chord on his lute, unleashing a net which surrounded Deidre. Hey, she shouted. We had a deal. The deal hath been... Corwin yelled the last part toward the front. Desisted! At that the carriage halted. Cars honked loudly. People shouted. The square-jawed horseman squeezed his way into the back of the carriage, forcing an ancient key into the lock on George's cage. 
The door squeaked open. George tried to force his way out, but the square-jawed horseman pushed him back in with one hand, hardly betraying any effort. The horseman used his other hand to help Corwin maneuver Deidre into the cage, which was barely big enough to fit both her and George. "'Yow us a freedom,' Deidre said, thrashing about in her net. The square-jawed horseman forced the cage door closed, removing the key from the lock. Deidre attempted to grab the keys but couldn't fit her hands through the bars— Corwin wrapped a chain around the cage door, locking it with a deadbolt. Ha! he said, returning to his canopy, reclining on his side. I tricked you, you foolish wench! Aren't you supposed to follow your medieval codes and whatnot? said Deidre. We made a deal. You swore an oath and everything. Pish posh and flim flummery, said Corwin, sitting back up again. I do not make deals with treacherous thieves. "'You did make a deal with a treacherous thief,' said Deidre, "'biting into the net and tying a knot. "'What you have not done is honoured the deal.' "'Speak ye not of honour, wench,' Corwin said. "'Chivalric codes govern how I treat ladies, "'not treacherous sorceress enchantresses such as thyself.' "'Corwin nodded at the square-jawed horseman, "'who returned to the front. "'Soon after, the carriage rattled back to life.' "'Didst thou think I shouldst reward thee?' Corwin said to Deidre. "'Who didst steal that which is most precious to me?' He took a pouch from under his canopy, walking over to Lorne, who hissed at him. "'Thou shalt learn to love me,' he told the dragon. He thrust his hand into the pouch, removing flax seed, which he offered to her. She flicked her tongue at it, looked at him carefully.' and then greedily gulped it down. Corwin smiled, saying, Good, good, in a soothing tone. He attempted to pet her, but she snapped at him. He pulled his hand away. She burped at him angrily. What foul things hath this boy done to you? asked the lanky horseman. The boy only wanted to help, said Deidre. Unlike you, he's honorable. "'Ha!' said the lanky horseman, flopping back onto his canopy. "'Mouth thou and that suckling will be punished in good time!' The lanky horseman plopped a grape into his smiling mouth. His face went sour. He spat out the grape. "'I can't not stand grapeskins!' Deidre laughed at him. "'Laugh all ye desire, for thou art the fool,' Corwin said, putting his loot away. I didst outwit thee, sorceress, enchantress, and more than once. Corwin retrieved a quill from under his canopy and a small leather-bound book from the pocket of his riding coat. This doth deserve a recounting, as Corwin wrote in his diary. The carriage jostled over another pothole, knocking his quill off its course. Blast this rough ride! George sat as far away from Deidre as he could, which was still right beside her. The cage was a tight fit. I tried to help you, George, said Deidre, finally pulling herself out of the net, to pay you back for helping me. I believed Sir Corwin to be a chivalrous man. I guess that was another oddity on my part. 
Chivalry is no excuse for stupidity, said Corwin, finally putting away his quill and returning the diary to his pocket. He'd been writing for a good half hour, cursing every jostle of the carriage. Art thou capable of understanding with thine inferior female brain? Right, Deidre said, pulling out the pillow which had been caught in the net with her. You outsmarted me. I did not understand your superior male psychology. You are truly good, wise, and virtuous, which is why I trust you'll give the kid back to his parents. Thou canst not outwit me with thy flattery like the snake who didst flatter the temptress who didst first bring mankind's fall. All right, then. But surely you'd wish to be on the right side of the law, Beatrice said, sitting on the pillow. I don't like it when you kidnap actual kids. They don't even like it when you kidnap grown-ups. I am the law, Corwin said, walking over to Lauren's cage. I am the righteous rider. The ridiculous rider is more like it, Deidre said. Corwin rushed toward her, raising his hand. Didst thou dare insult the righteous rider? No, said Deidre. I insulted the ridiculous rider. Corwin slapped Deidre hard upon the cheek. She smiled. It wasn't very chivalrous, she said. Striking a lady. Twas an accident, Corwin said. Oh, twas it? The carriage did jostle. Thou art no lady. Deidre laughed. I'm just amazed your hand fit through those bars. Your hands are truly tiny. Fine, they be normal-sized. Corwin hid them behind his back, his cheeks going red. For a seven-year-old, maybe, said Deidre. Corwin raised his hand at her again. Deidre offered her other cheek to slap. Go on, slap me again. Show how tiny your hands truly are. I would not strike a woman on purpose, Corwin said. Not even a sorceress. I am chivalrous. I am righteous. I need not thine approval. And my hands are perfectly adequate in scale. He returned to his canopy, studying Deidre's face as he plopped a grape into his mouth. He spat it right back out again. He lay down on his side, eventually falling asleep. Only then did Deidre say, Ow! And even then, only quietly. Had George not been so angry with Deidre, he might have comforted her. She noticed him looking at her, saw the concern in his face before he could hide it. I'm all right, kid, she said. I don't care, said George. Let that be a lesson. If someone strikes one cheek, offer the other. It shows him you're tough and won't be defeated by any cheek-slapping nonsense. George was in no mood to discuss this. He curled up on the ground and tried to sleep, but the rattling carriage killed any hope of that. You sure you don't want the pillow? Deidre said. There's no shock absorbers on these carriages. Why anyone would want to return to medieval times is absolutely beyond me. George turned his back to her. He reached out to Lorne, putting his hands through the bars that separated their cages. The dragon hissed at him. Sorry for the small hand jokes, Deidre said. There's nothing wrong with small hands, per se. George hid his hands under his arms. He hadn't even considered feeling miserable about hand size, but was glad that he could now. He deserved to feel miserable. He lay his head against the bars, which battered him with their rattling. He was glad it hurt.
It should hurt. He deserved to hurt. He was so stupid. Thinking Max might have a quest for him from beyond the grave? Thinking this woman might be some mysterious force for good rather than a selfish thief who betrayed him and Lorne while trying to save herself. He should have known better. He wasn't a foolish kid anymore. He was a foolish 12-year-old. She was wrong about, well, a lot of things. And one thing she was wrong about was that George did know the world wasn't so good as you might think it ought to be. He knew that because of Max dying, because of his depressed parents. He'd even known Lauren was all too real with her burping and farting and pyromania. But George wanted at least some parts of this world to be good and right. His love for Lauren and her love for him had been good and right. He was sure that it had. It didn't matter if she came from another world or was engineered in this one. His love for her was real. Until he'd betrayed it. Not on purpose, of course. He'd betrayed it because Deidre had tricked him, because Corwin had tricked her. Now George was going to a dungeon. Lorne would become the fire-breathing weapon of a spoiled, rich, lanky brat. Max was as dead as ever. And there was nothing George could do about any of it. The carriage rattled for the better part of a day before they arrived at Corwin's castle, at the very peak of the surrounding hills. George had become so used to the rattling that its absence gave him a headache. The square-jawed horseman opened the back of the carriage. He detached the cages, using a winch to place George and Deidre's cage onto a small cart, Mounted on wooden wheels, Corwin whipped a mule, which pulled the cart away. Goodbye, Lorne, George called. The dragon screeched at him angrily. George lost sight of her as the cart descended a stone ramp circling deeper and deeper. Flickering torches faintly lit the way. At last they arrived at a rough-hewn stone room, lined with dozens of prison cells on either side. Welcome to the dungeon, Corwin said, backing George's travel cage to an open cell, poking at him with his sword till George stumbled out of his cage and into his new home. Corwin slammed the door shut behind him. Soon after, George heard another door slam nearby. Deidre shouted, Tiny hands! laughing at Corwin. Sorry, she said to George a moment later. I couldn't resist. Corwin led his mules back up the ramp, the cart's squeaking wheels growing fainter, along with Corwin's proclamations that he was indeed the righteous rider. George felt very alone and liked it that way. No, that's a lie. Of course he didn't like it. But also, he didn't not like it. Like would have been a feeling, and George wasn't feeling any of those. He'd be fine. No, fine is too strong a word. Indifferent. Yes, much better. George would be indifferent if he never felt any emotions ever again or saw anyone or thought of anyone. Who are the new guys? Said a man's voice nearby. Who are you calling a guy? Said Deidre. He didn't mean anything by it. Said a woman's voice. Mom? George said. Dad? Is that you? It's all of us said Jack from a few cells over. 
We're all stuck here, and it's all your fault. Thank you for listening to Chapter 14 of A Dragon for George. Tune in next time to find out how everyone ended up in the dungeons. Until then, bless you, keep you, and take good care.